Hello, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Silmarillion Film Project. I'm your co-host, Dave Kale, and we've got a really, really, really exciting episode. I, I know we say this like every week. Oh, this is the this is this is the episode, the one you've been waiting for. And I think that's true. At the very least, you've been waiting two weeks for this episode. <laughs> but no, this, this one is like I I feel like from day one of doing this, people immediately start saying, "So, how are you guys going to do the music of the Ainur? How are you going to do the Ainulin delay?" Um, and, and I feel like we've been delaying or putting off talking about that because we were like, I don't know how the heck we're going to do that. <laughs> so, no more delaying, no more procrastination. This is this is the this is the episode. Um, our time of reckoning has come. It's time to discuss the music of the Ironer and um, various other topics related to that. So, without without further delay, let's get started. Um, with me, as always, are Trish Lambert and the Tolkien professor, Corey Olson. So, my z- music of the Ironer, guys. Okay, yes, exactly. Music of the Ironer, and you're right, from the very beginning. Or, or it, that is, if people didn't assume we were going to skip it, you know, that was the other thing. You know, people were like, well, you know, you're not going to be able yeah. to do the music of the Ironer, of course, right? You know, so th- there was like a significant subset of people who would sort of lead with that. Uh, but, uh, but yes, you're right. The suggestion. There may be a subset of people who say they should have. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Probably after the episode today, there will be now a large larger subset of people who said in <laughs> retrospect really they should have skipped it but um <laughs> but anyway um no no i mean it's it, it's obviously one of the most tantalizing thing i mean the thing about the music of the ainur is that it's it's um you know it's one of the most you know sort of thought provoking and 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 really just sort of beautiful um uh, stories that tolkien wrote and it's one of the things that has been most consistent from the beginning of Tolkien's work through the end of it. I mean, you can, you can see the versions of the music of the Einar from the first version that he wrote in the Book of Lost Tales all the way through the version that gets into the published Silmarillion. And, you know, there's, uh, you know, you can trace the evolution, you can see the different versions of it as, you know, going through the history of Middle Earth series. But it's very consistent. I mean, you know, the first version of it is not hugely different from the, from the final version of it. It's a very consistent, um, uh, uh, story. Um, you know, it obviously was important to Tolkien. It, you know, it's, it's obvious that this was a thing which, you know, this you know, the sort of the sort of you know the sort of vision that he had for it originally, and that that vision very you know didn't really change. So you know, it, it's I, I even for for that reason alone, you know, the fact that this has always been this kind of central core concept, which has lurked behind the whole rest of the story. And I say behind because, of course, it's always been detached from the whole story, right? It is never fully integrated. It's kind of floating out there on its own, um, and. Um, but 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 nevertheless, it's always there. It's and and it it always remains there. And I you know I, I can't possibly imagine skipping it for that reason. I mean, it would be sort of easier in some ways just to start in Arda and move forward with the story of Arda. Uh, but uh, I think that just because the Ainuendo is going to be really hard doesn't mean that we doesn't mean that we that we shouldn't do it. So. Anyway, so that's what we're, I'm looking forward to that today. The, this is normally the time in the episode when we do, uh, you know, review and going over stuff from the last episode. Um, I think a lot of that 
is sort of stuff that we're and we're going to do some of that as we discuss the frame today anyway so i think i'm i think i'd rather just kind of roll that into our normal discussion since what we were discussing last time is going to become relevant especially yeah, today sure. as we're thinking about how we uh work the frame in um so uh, uh yeah 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 cool um well, then, before I launch into, uh, there's sort of one thing I want to focus on from the book depiction here that's, I think, especially important for us to be thinking about as we think about how we actually approach this <clears throat> in an adaptation. But um, but first, let's do, let's do uh, uh, announcements time uh, before I totally forget to do it. Um, uh, three announcements I want to make this week. One <clears throat> is uh, d- to uh, reminder. I mentioned. I think I've mentioned this before in some film. At least I've mentioned it in several other places. Um, so I want to make sure. Uh, I want to make sure that I mentioned it here. And that is the upcoming regional event uh, that Mythgard is sponsoring. Uh, uh, the uh, the Mid Atlantic Speculative Fiction Symposium, which is going on at the University of Maryland. So you know, right in the you know on the on the Maryland side of DC, um, in uh, on, on Saturday, October third. Um, so again, Saturday, October 3rd, you'll get a chance to meet Verlin Flieger. I'm sure you guys have heard the news about the, the new Coolervo book that's being published. You know, that Tolkien's basically his, like, first work, his first work of prose, essentially. Um, and how that's being published, uh, it's been published now already, uh, in Europe. It's gonna be published in America in the spring. Um, we, uh, uh, Verlin Flieger is the editor of the book. She's going to be there and talking about her, um, uh, her, um, she's going to be talking about her experience editing the book and, um, you know, just sort of talking about Tolkien and Kulervo in general. There's going to be, uh, you know, a bunch of, you know, sort of a, an opportunity to, uh, discuss a whole bunch of different topics. People are going to be reading papers, uh, at this symposium, but they're going to be sort of, um, sort of posing questions and raising really interesting discussion topics for us to to think about and discuss together it's going to be really a lot of fun the schedule of that has been posted um and uh you know so i'm going to be there dr flieger's going to be there it's going to be really it's going to be really great um it's really cheap it's just a one-day event it only costs 10 bucks so uh you know if you're anywhere within wow. shouting distance of the dc area um I'm pretty sure this is the most fun you can legally have for $10 on a Saturday, um, uh, anywhere in the DC area. So, um, so October 3rd, uh, I, I plan to be there. There's still time to enroll, go to mythguard.org and then you'll find it under the events heading in the top. Um, <laughs> Timothy Fisher suggests it's yep. probably the cheapest fun that you can have even illegally, uh, in DC. That is, that is, that is possible, I suppose. Uh, that seems likely, actually. Yeah, 10, 10 bucks is awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it was really cool. We're really happy to, I, I am always really glad when we can, uh, keep the costs down. And that's been really great. We've been able to, we've been able to do that. And it's been, it's been really fun. So definitely come. Um, okay. Ten bucks to see ten bucks to see you and Verlin Flieger is like a, that's like a oh my should, gosh you are know. you kidding that's like the deal of the century. Verlin yeah. Flieger is so awesome. She is she is this wonderful combination of you know she is just one of the one of the most 
you know, sort of distinguished and learned Tolkien scholars, uh, you know, alive in the world. She, she knows her stuff. She is, uh, you know, she is, she is tough as a whip. Um, but she is so nice and kind and thoughtful. She's, she's just, uh, she's, she's just wonderful, uh, to see and to talk to in person. So she's um, like a female Corey kind of, <laughs> except well, and the reason, well, the reason I say that, yeah, well, okay. <laughs> but the reason I say that is because the two of you, in my experience, having been students of both of you is they never, neither you nor Berlin ever like denigrate anything a student has to say, you know, any question, any, insight any you know what I mean it's like sometimes academics you know instructors often will say well no actually it's this way neither of you ever do that even if you don't agree you'll be like oh that's interesting you know what I mean you're just neither of you do that and I think it's awesome I I I I love uh you know I've I've always really enjoyed Q&A sessions that I've been to with uh with Verlin you know at conferences and things it's been it's been really it's been really neat I've I've uh I just love, not only do I love talking with her myself, but I, I, I love, you know, watching and listening to her interact with other scholars and other students and, and people and stuff. It should be, it should be great fun. And yes, Thomas Johnson, um, by the way, and thank you, Thomas, for all the work that you've been doing. He's been, uh, Thomas Johnson is one of the organizers, uh, of the, of this event, um, and is of course reminding me, uh, to thank the University of Maryland's English department, who is very graciously hosting, uh, the event. Um, which has been, which has been the oh. chief thing that has enabled us to, uh, uh, to be able to keep the costs down because we're not having to pay for an expensive venue. We're getting to be hosted by the University of Maryland's English department, which is fantastic. So. Wow. Yeah. That's a heck of a deal too. It is. It's, it's lovely. How, yeah. How, and how very like, I feel like for some reason that seems like a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> No, no, it shouldn't be a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise. Um, good. Other announcements. So, uh, uh, this coming week, next Wednesday, the 16th, um, at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, we have the beginning of our next Mythgard Academy class. The, the, the next elected book that we're going to be discussing our way through is Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. So excited. I'm yes. so excited for this. Yeah. I think even even if you haven't actually gotten to crack the book yet, you should still come to this. Because I think just listening, especially to the first class, you're going to want to crack the book. Um, it's a great, it's a great book. It's a really remarkable book, I find. I mean, I, I really do, I, I, I really enjoy the book and even more than simply in just enjoying it as another fantasy work, I find, uh, the whole premise of the yes, book to be completely absolutely. remarkable. Um, you know, the way that, the way that Clark has really entered into, I mean, it's one thing to tell an alternative history story in which you, you know, are kind of going back in time and, and, you know, doing essentially a real, you know, a, a, a convincing sub-creative job of, of, you know, bringing us into, you know, that particular time. It takes place during the Regency period in, in the early 19th century, um, in England. But, um, but the way that she has actually, you know, basically encoded that through the entire, not just the vocabulary, but the entire style. I have read a lot of 18th and 19th century literature, uh, and it's, I, I'm, I find it really she convincing. It, she? she absolutely yeah. nails it. Um, and I mean, even the, 
even the, 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 the pacing of the book, which, you know, there's so many people, well, okay, not so many, there's several people that have been, you know, as I've been talking about this, have been complaining, like, the book is really slow moving. And I'm like, I know, isn't it awesome? I mean, it's just like a 19th century novel. Uh, but I mean, this is why a lot of modern people don't like 19th century novels anymore, because we want, like, faster paced thrillers than they, you know, uh, did generally in the 18th and 19th centuries. Um, but, uh, but it's, you know, she's so uncompromising in her maintaining. Well, like, it like Karita so points out, you know, she, she includes footnotes, which is like, you know, it's like you get these footnotes. Oh, the footnotes are awesome. The Love the footnotes. Yeah. <laughs> Love the footnotes. So yeah, anyway, so, you know, there's much to talk about, you know, I'm not going to go off and talk about the whole book here tonight, but it's, it's definitely, I'm, I'm <laughs> really excited about this too. Yeah, Wednesday, Wednesday. We're <laughs> talking about the whole book on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, well, no, but uh, we well, will talk uh, about the first six chapters on Wednesday, so, um, do, I, do it's a long book, and then we're going to talk about the miniseries afterwards, so, um, we're going to start it next week, and we're going to be going through it basically Christmas, so, um, uh, but definitely start reading chapters one through six for next Wednesday night. So that's why. And uh, our final announcement um, is uh, sort of a very a big, exciting general announcement. Um, the you may remember that in the last uh, two falls we have had our big Mythgard and Signum University fundraiser, and we are doing that again. Um, that is coming up soon. We're going to be starting that on Hobbit Day on Bilbo and Frodo's birthday. We're going to have a little kickoff event. We're going to do some uh, some live Tolkien readings and uh, and stuff. It's going to be really fun on that night, uh, and then. We have uh, a whole bunch of events uh, scheduled uh, during the uh, during the, the 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 course of that month. They're going to be special. In addition to the Jonathan Strange Mister Norrell class, we're going to have uh, some special Mythgard Academy events. They're going to be special talks uh, and, uh, and 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 lectures and discussions and uh, lots and lots of things going on. Our our, our uh, day long webinar, uh, or we- our day long webathon at the end, as we've been doing. It's going to be really cool. And, inf- and we also have some special film film ev- uh, related events, uh, scheduled. Uh, That's right. Yeah, yeah. In fact, Trish, we had, uh, we had one that was just confirmed, right? Yeah, as a matter of fact, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's just a little thing. Yeah. It's, you know, I mean, it may be hard to get people. Oh, to wait, come we to. didn't mention this to Dave, did we? No, I don't think we did. Oh, Unless, yeah. I don't, he might not be interested. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Check and see. He's, he's yeah. going to have to be there. So. That's right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So we just got conf- we just got a confirmation that on the 13th of October, we're going to have uh, be hosting a live session and interview with film film related, film film related, related. discussion uh, with Jim Butcher, author of The Dresden Files uh, and The Codex Alera. Oh, what was that? What was that noise? I think Dave just fell up too. <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, but we specifically told him about Sim Film, you know, shared the link with him and said, you know, would you be interested in talking adaptation, your opinions of the Jackson's films, your experience of the Dresden File adaptation, and if you want to talk a little on the film, you know, adapting Sim Film, and he said, sure. Happy yeah. To. Yeah. Uh, so I guess Dave, that could be Hello, fun, Dave. Uh... Are you fanning? Are you fanning yourself? <laughs> I know. I I guess this could be fine. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 
Yeah, it's going to be great. Baby, you can come. You'll I've, drag yourself to come. I've been uh, I've been really excited to talk to to talk to Jim Butcher for a while. I've he's uh, he's one of my favorite uh, you know contemporary fantasy writers, uh, and uh, you know so I've I, 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 I I've been really excited to talk to him. So I'm very um, also I'm very also has some yeah, very relevant to talk. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I'm yeah, not we, sure he's got some great stories to tell about his experience. We thought we would ask him for some sort of comprehensives uh, uh, on like how not to do adaptation (laughs) of a book. Yes. (laughs) Uh, For those of you who don't know what we're referring to, we're of course referring to the uh, dreadful sci-fi channel adaptation of the Dresden Files, um, which is just wretched. Um, It is. But, uh, you know, that's not to pull any punches. Somewhat, somewhat, but somewhat charming in a certain like weird way. Well, I didn't have a problem with the with the guy who played Dresden, but the rest of it was just well, like, I, other I, than I, being weak. Say what, Dave? I think I was going to say the same thing you were about to say. Which is why yeah, 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 he, he's way too short. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Not just six inches too short. He's like eighteen inches too short. Okay, I mean it's just like. <laughs> Well, but that's nothing compared to what they did to Murphy. So enough said. Well, yeah, I just uh, and Bob. I mean, is there a character they yeah. didn't wreck? I mean, that's the thing. You know, it's one thing to say like you're going to change the stories or add new stuff or whatever, but to 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 fail to get any characters right, right at all. I mean, to have. I mean, it's. I just don't understand. Like, again, making changes is one thing, but to say like we're gonna we're gonna adapt a story, except we're gonna change all of the characters. I'm gonna change all of the story. So really, we're just gonna be doing a completely different show, except we're we're gonna be using the names from the book. Like, I don't get that approach at all. Like, it doesn't make a lick of sense. It's just like we're just gonna basically deceive people into thinking this has something to do with Jim Butcher's books, but it really doesn't. Um, so and- questions will be answered on the th- on the third. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's very exciting. That's very exciting. But there's other things too. Corey's going to be doing a a Mythgard Academy type session on on should we say? I mean, it's on. I don't know which episode it's going to be, but on a Doctor Who episode. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to talk. I'm going to do a session talking about Doctor Who. Um, I'm still in consultation as to which uh, which episode I'm going to do. I've made it a good deal. Uh, Some of you may remember uh, the talk on Doctor Who I did last year um, when I was still only like halfway through season one. No, I had just gotten into season two uh, then, but I'm now I I'm now at the end of season six, so I've 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 moved well forward, and uh, um, yeah, so I just I just got to uh, uh, the uh, the the I actually just watched the wedding of uh, River Song literally last night, so that's where I am oh. currently. Um, right. Anyway, so. Uh, so I'm th- th- that's that's uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to to talking some Doctor Who. It's going to be great. And then I, we have um, under the guest lecture series, we've got some uh, Serena Higgins is going to be talking to one of our master's uh, students on her thesis, which is going to be really interesting. And we have a Lotro theme thing, which is where on where on Middle Earth is Wigan? That's right. We're so going to be doing some be bouncing around Middle Earth and talking about some of the things in game. Yeah, we're going to be looking at the different different adaptations and places. This it, it'll be uh, it, it'll be uh, f- fun, especially if you've never been uh, in the Lord of the Rings online or haven't in a long time. 
um, we're going to be, I'm going to kind of bouncing around and doing some careful looking at some of the places, some of the sort of the chief places from the books, um, and to look at sort of how they've depicted it and worked it into stories in Lotro. It, it, it should be really fun. So, yeah. So that's great. And then did you already mention that on the 31st we'll be having uh, a long session? So on yes, Halloween yes, we're doing will be a long session. Our with, webathon with will be doing a whole bunch of different things. stuff. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. stay tuned for that uh, for that schedule. Okay. Yep. Anyway, I'll shut up now. Go so, ahead. So, Go ahead, yeah, Corey. I was going to ask. <laughs> I was going to ask where where can people where like do we have the sort of the complete schedule of all the events? Not um, yet. Online? Not yet. We're, this is this is In like fact, our teaser announcement. You know, we're just sort of yes. telling people okay. to anticipate this. It's going to be st- again. It's going to be starting. In the in, at the end of September and going through October, by our next film film episode, we will have a full schedule posted, um, and you know we'll have everything out there on the website. Well, and actually next week we will because our next film film will be after the twenty second. So, oh yeah, I know. Right? Which is why so, I feel so confident in announcing that is <laughs> we're going to have that up by the next so, uh, episode. So on the Mythgard site, I believe, or probably on both the Signum and the Mythgard site, we will have a page up on the fundraiser. With all of the schedules, and uh, and we'll also be you know tweeting out and, and, and going through messaging channels. So keep your eye peeled, and um, and we'll also actually I'll make a point of putting it up on the discussion board as well, on the announcement section of the discussion board. Um, at least a link to where the schedule is, so that way everybody knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Next. the but basically things begin on Hobbit Day, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Yes. They begin on Hobbit Day and move forward from there. So, um, uh, anyway, yeah, we're um, it's so yeah. This is just to to kind of give a little preview of what's coming, and you know, so that you you have this in mind, and and you can be looking at the at the specific schedule later on. Um, so, oh, and I should also say, part of this also is going to be what, what, one new thing that we're doing this year. It should be really fun. We're going to be doing a we're going to be doing a uh, a flash fiction contest throughout oh, yeah, the fundraiser. Yeah, right. uh, so every week there are going to be yeah. different topics for you to write. Uh, you know, little short pieces of fiction or poems or things, and and uh, you can submit those. And there's going to be cash prizes, and the winners will be uh, published in a special volume. And it's going to be really it, it's going to be really. So cool. we'll be going into that in detail on the 22nd. Yeah, yeah there'll be more details on that too. So, uh, no, 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 Thomas, not a slash fiction contest. <laughs> That's different. Um, <laughs> not, not something I think we will ever. Pro- probably, probably not. Though the two words look identical in 18th century typeface. They are not the same, and that's not precisely what we're doing. So, um, so yes, but anyway, yes, no, a flash fiction, which means, which means short, quick fiction. Uh, you know, nobody's writing a novel for this, so. Um, I know, Brianna, costumes are not a requirement for the, for the Halloween episode, but they are certainly welcome. They're, yes, they're encouraged. They are encouraged, exactly. Exactly. Okay. And uh, and here endeth the announcements. So, moving into wait 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 quick question. Oh yeah, one, one yeah. last quick question. Uh, are we allowed to tweet about uh, Jim Butcher? Yeah, I suppose so. We don't have we don't have links to register. More details to, to follow. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. More details to follow, follow but yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yes. Sure. All right. All right. If you tweet, yeah, I, yeah. Will, I will. I will. Didn't want to you know start a 
didn't want to start a Twitter rumor without uh, without 100% confirmation. Oh, good. Where, it's where a, it's a good your... thing because that's pretty much uh, it's pretty standard, right? To, for everybody to make sure they have 100% confirmation before they start Twitter rumors. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, actually yeah. Wouldn't want to break from totally tradition. Violating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so um, I I know in a way um, uh, as it can now no longer be avoided, not even by further episodes, but even by further minutes. So the 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 the, the main thing, the main point I want to make from the book to sort of contextualize things is to sort of recall the kind of the deviations in chronology or rather the irregularities in chronology. Um, when you look at the at the the Anuendale as it's published, one thing of course that you notice is that there's overlap between the Anuendale and chapter 1 of the Quintus Silmarillion because they're really different things. They're not designed to be contiguous. So of course it's not just a question of well, we'll do the Anuendale this week, you know, in episode 1 and then we'll start with chapter 1 um uh, you know, in episode two, because that's not how the chronologies work. The Ainulindale basically has three or, you know, maybe, or, well, two or three, depending on how you want to break it up, um, different sort of sections. The one is the depiction, uh, you know, the, the description of the story of the music all the way up through sort of, uh, you know, the, the final words of Iluvatar there, you know, as he's kind of rebuking Melkor and stuff and saying, here's, here's how it's going to be. Then we have the vision that they get and a bunch of sort of, you know, thoughts and discussions that go along with the vision, such as, for instance, um, Olmo's conversation with Iluvatar about the, you know, about the rain and the frost and things, right? Um, and then we get the description of their descent into Arda, some contemplation of things like the nature of the Valar, like the passage that often confuses, you know, readers about the, you know, how the Valar, you know, how the Valar are kind of like a pillar which is as wide as the base of a mountain and then goes up until it's as bitter as a needle, if you remember the passage that I'm talking about there, um, as well as the passage about their forms and the genders of the of the Valar and stuff, so you know it, it's it's there's there's all that stuff there, and then we get the sort of summary in the end of when the Valar descend into Arda, what they find there, and how they are shaping Arda and uh, warring with Melkor. Um, so, you know that in my mind, the latter portion certainly. The part when they descend into Arda, I think that's definitely episode two stuff. I think episode one has to end no later than the descent into Arda, as far as the you know the the sort of core, the sort of non-frame content of the episode. Um, but even for the other stuff, I think that we have to be sort of careful about what we include and exactly how we do this. And the main thing that I guess that I would say, I think that the the nature of the Ainulindale, the stuff that's covered in the Ainulindale, I believe actually lends itself very, very well to discussion within a frame. That is to say, had we decided not to have a frame story, I have no idea how we would do the Ainulindale. Um, but with the frame story, it's actually going to make it, I think, a great deal easier. Um, because a lot of it comes across very comfortably as 
a story that's being told and even clarifications that are being given. And I think that we can work that in, especially in the context of the frame that we have planned. Um, that is, you know, the sort of the generally kind of pedagogical frame of Elrond teaching young Estelle stuff. Um, so, uh, cause I mean, I, I, as I was reading, uh, as I was rereading the Ina Lindelay this morning, I was, you know, it, I, it kept sort of popping up in my head very clearly. I'd get to, I'd get to a passage and I'd be like, oh, well, you know, it, it's obvious, like the question that Estelle asked to prompt that particular explanation. And oh, okay, yep. And here, here, here's another question that popped up and there's the answer to that question. Um, so I think that that, uh, that that works. You know, it just, I, I think that, that that frame works really naturally. And as I said, I think a bunch of these things would have been almost impossible to talk about, um, if we hadn't, uh, been doing a frame. So let me, let me sort of start off, you know, our, the, our questions from last time, how are we going to introduce the frame? Um, uh, how are we, then how are we going to depict the music? And then how are we going to transition? How are we going to connect the music to the arrival at Arda, uh, there towards the end? Um, so let's do you guys want to talk about the frame first or do you want to talk about the music first? Um how about well talk about the frame and also our our point of disagreement. How about okay. that? Because I think that sort of sets the tone. Um I expect to be completely um vetoed based on your silver tongued <laughs> response, okay? But I'm gonna go for it anyway. Um, I believe we have basically two stories to establish in this very first episode, which is the frame story and the, you know, the middler story. Um, I believe that an hour, even without commercials, is insufficient to basically establish both of those stories and get the audience hooked sufficiently to want to come back again. So I'm, you know, and plus the marketer in me knows that oftentimes with new series, you know, they go for a two-hour premiere. And I'm actually, you know, stumping for either an hour and a half or two-hour premiere episode. Partly because of the marketing piece, but also because I believe that unless we go that long, we're not really going to be able to sufficiently lay the groundwork for both of these stories. Um, so that's the first thing. And I think, of course, I think we start off with a frame story to, you know, somehow to anchor the audience in something they already know. Uh, whether that's, you know, of course, Gil Ryan fleeing with her baby may not be something that they know, but we can establish fairly early on who the baby is. Um, and so those are my two things. I was fairly short with my presentation there. Right. Now I'm waiting for Corey to completely shoot me down. <laughs> well, okay. I'm not going to start with the shooting down so much as my concern, <laughs> which disinclines me towards a two-hour episode. See what I mean? He's the nicest person. Isn't he nice? <laughs> He's really nice. My, here's my concern. This, this is how it starts. But, uh, <laughs> right, exactly. Yes, yes. My concern <laughs> is that this episode is going to be boring. Um, and what I mean by that is, I mean, of course, Tolkien fans, you know, or, or no, let me say more specifically, Silmarillion fans tend to really like the Aino Lindelay. But if we're telling this story with, you know, an eye towards the comic, you know, we're imagining putting this on, this is the pilot episode of this new show that we're, uh, you know, and, and I, 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 I'm imagining, you know, somebody who is like, maybe they, they've probably seen Jackson's films, maybe they've read the books, maybe they haven't. 
And if we go on like two hours about like there was music and there was conflict in the music and we're doing like, I don't know. I mean, we have to talk. We will talk about this, of course. Like, are we doing animation? You know, a light show. What are we doing when we're doing the music? I think two two hours is, is a really long time um, for an episode <clears throat> which under under almost no circumstances is going to be action packed. We're talking about an episode in which really we have nothing to depict other than people talking. And I think there's a, there's a real potential. A winning, that's a winning recipe. For a pilot, right? Exactly, right? I mean, you talk about like way to, way, way to bring him in off the streets. Now, here's the thing. You know, I feel that we have to be cautious. Like we can't go too far in the direction of being like, but how are we going to appeal to people? Because I think that's how really, in my opinion, that's one of the ways in which really bad films and books and things happen when you're focusing all the time on like, but how do I make people have fun rather than like, just tell your story, you know, just do your thing. And if you do your thing, if, if the thing is a good thing and you're doing your thing, just focusing and pouring yourself into that and, and, you know, making it as awesome as you can make it. Other people will probably find it awesome too. But if you start thinking about like, how can I specifically appeal to these people and to those people and put that together, I don't think it's likely to come out real well. So, so I'm not saying that we sort of need to compromise or put in like lots of, uh, extraneous CG action sequences or anything like that or, you know, scantily clad women or anything of that sort. All I'm <laughs> saying is, um, <laughs> that. Oh man. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I just totally submarined Dave's entire speech he was just about to make. But anyway, um, <laughs> but no, no, no. The, 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 the point is, I don't think that we need to sort of compromise the vision. We can do, you know, we should do the music of the Ainur, but I'm not keen to extend it. You know, I think that everything that we need to do could be done in an hour. And I would kind of like to not draw this out too much. Again, especially since we, I mean, because I, I feel like if we draw it out, we'll be drawing it out primarily with more exposition. Um, and I think the the boringness factor is uh, is 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 going to loom larger the more we do that. Now I had well, an idea, okay. what one, one little idea for how we could further sort of moderate the potential boredom factor, and that is uh, 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 no 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 again not CG violence, not uh, uh, sexually provocative images. No 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 no. My suggestion <laughs> is that we have the potential resistance or impatience with the beginning of this story because it's it's impatience that i sort of dread right people being like what is this going anywhere why do we need to know all this why are we being told this like you know vague and sort of curious story about music and conflict within the music do we is this going anywhere you know what do we and i think that we can uh, sort of disarm that to some extent by actually including it within the episode itself. This is, uh, this is, uh, I, 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 Tolkien does this kind of thing a lot. Like Bilbo in The Hobbit, of course, is the greatest example, right? If we, 
if you, when you read The Hobbit for the first time, you are at all, you know, like sort of fantasy worlds and, you know, uh, you know, these kinds of things are strange to you. Well, you have a companion in Bilbo Baggins, right? Bilbo is also resistant to these things and these things are strange to him. And he is sort of pretending that he fits in when he really doesn't. And so we as readers, you know, have this delightful sort of representative within the narrative um, in Bilbo. And I think that if we have people who are inclined towards impatience with all of this lore stuff that happens at the beginning, I think that we could help to diffuse that by giving impatient people a representative within our narrative as well. And my suggestion for that would be Gilrein. And that is, that's where we can sort of begin the uh, the sort of the subplot of the tension between Gilrein and Elrond that we were discussing last time. Um, if we have her basically, you know, like she's okay with the idea, of course, of the education of, of, of Estelle, but she does not think it's off to a very good start. And, you know, and she is sort of wondering what the point of all this is and why, you know, he needs to be being taught all of this elvish lore. Um, uh, so anyway, anyway. Um, yeah, well, and that's kind of where I was heading with this is like, is there, first of all, I think, at least I've mentioned before, and Nick Palazzo reminded me that, you know, we may spend more time on the frame story in this first episode than we do on any other episode. Yes. Possible exception of last episode. So there's a lot of story that we can cover in this first episode. And given the fact that the music of the Ainur isn't super drama-packed, can the drama reside in this episode in the frame story? And even further, can we somehow create a parallel of what's going on in the music of the Ainur with what's going on in the frame story, I, that's a little, maybe a little bit of a stretch. But well, yeah, I mean, is there a way we can do that? In the sense that we have, um, you know, sort of uh, uh, tension. I mean, in my mind, the, um, the 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 sort of the interesting thing there is that we have kind of the tensions within the uh, the frame. Especially, you know, with, with Elrond and Gilrein being sort of the central, or the, sort of the, the, the two poles of that tension. Um, and that can, it can in some ways kind of echo some of the tension that's going on. But I mean, it's not going to parallel it exactly because, of course, we don't have like a Mel, uh, you know, right. there's, there's no Melkor figure. You know, there's nobody no. who's, right. Gilrein isn't going to try to take over Rivendell. And, uh, you know, there's not going to be, there's not going <laughs> to. Well, we can have, we could have Aragorn be like, you know, mulishly stubborn about something uh, as a, you know, six-year-old kid, and she could tell him the story about Melkor as a as a cautionary tale. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not careful, you could end up like this. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> yes, that's, uh, that's, I haven't tried that, you know, with like a, a ten-year-old. You know, being, do you want to end up banished to the void? Huh? That's Is that right. what you want? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or chain for centuries. That's right. Exactly. Please, please do try that. <laughs> yeah, you know. Let us know how it goes. <laughs> who knows? Yeah, exactly. Um, David Baxter said in in, in uh, connection with my comment about you know there being so little action in this first episode, he says it's a show about nothing with elves. Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um. 
what do we think, you know, having had it, this is one of the places that I want to do, as I said earlier, I want to kind of roll in the coming back to our stuff from last time during our main talk. And here's the, one of the first points of that. Um, have you guys thought any more about that question of, do we have the, uh, the, cause we do have that opportunity for an, a, a genuine action sequence in the flashback to Arathorn's death and the flight of Gil Ryan and yeah. her coming to, to, to Rivendell. I'm still against starting with that. Um, I think that, uh, that is, I, 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 I don't, for one thing, I think that if the if the cam if the scene opens, if like the very first thing we get in the show is that action scene, it's going to be pretty misleading for the rest of the episode and, and <laughs> really the first few yeah. episodes. If we lead people to expect an action, you know, it's just that's not how it's going. But I don't mind interjecting it. I mean, I think it's especially since. Um, for me, the best thing that that serves is as a kind of a context for Gilrine's viewpoint, right? Why exactly is she impatient? It's not that she's anti-intellectual, right? You know, like, my boy doesn't need all of this abstruse learning. I don't think that's her argument. Um, I think that her point, is, like, basically, the question is more, what are their goals, Right, she wants him to be prepared for the life that he has to face. She wants him to be grounded in like this, you know, the stuff that he needs to know in 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 order to survive. The stuff that you know, and, and grounded in the traditions of their people. And you know, as we said last time, th- her biggest problem is that she feels like he's being raised like an elf, um, or raised to think like an elf, and she's gonna be she's gonna be objecting to that. Um. But, um, by the way, I was thinking, again, as I was rereading the Ina Lindelay this morning, um, I had two, uh, two other, uh, sort of thoughts that I thought would sort of do, would work really well directly in the, in the narrative. One is, um, as I was just listening to Martin Shaw read The Silmarillion, I was thinking, you know, the, the narrative register of the Silmarillion is actually kind of perfect for Elrond. I would actually kind of like Elrond to talk that way. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like, kind of archaic, kind of formal, a little bit stuffy, right? Um, Especially when he's storytelling, he doesn't have to, his, his conversation doesn't have to be in exactly that mode all the time, though I think it should be still sort of, still sound sort of formalized and archaic. Um, again, that his, even his conversation should be enough to make an impatient mortal be tempted to roll her eyes, I think. I think that would be fine. I, you know, we don't have to depict Elrond as, as you know, like a, a total fuddy-duddy, but it seems to me likely that he would have, you know, that, that his, his register of speaking would just be, would you know, could be really different. But anyway, certainly when he's storytelling... I, f- I feel like many... Uh... I feel like many a casual reader has been tempted to roll their eyes while reading the Council of Elrond. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, because I mean, he did, his 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 speech. You know how he talks in the Council of Elrond is not that different from the narrator of the Silmarillion. No, yeah, it's actually quite. I've never thought. Of, I've never done that comparison explicitly, but you're right. Like it's actually quite similar. It, it, it is a very good fit. Yeah, so I mean, just as I get as I was listening to the Iron Window, I'm like, yeah, I could totally see Elrond saying that. And then uh, when I got to the place where it talks about the children of Iluvatar and says, uh, "Now the children of Iluvatar are elves and men. 
the firstborn and the followers. And I, I'm imagining like, oh, Gilrain would not like that, right? You know, so like, just like have Elrond say exactly that. And at that point, Gilrain really could roll her eyes, you know, in his depiction of the of 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 men as merely like the followers, and her being like, well, you know, what are we a, like a postscript on this story? Like you're, you know, this my son is supposed to be the king of you know a king of men, and and you're like you know training him to think of men as some kind of afterthought, right? You know, and this. Um, so, um, so, so yeah, I, 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 I think there's some ways that we can, that we can, we can sort of make use of that. So I do think the central drama, in as much as there's going to be drama in this first episode, the drama really does kind of have to be in the frame. We have a lot of frame to do over the course of the whole first season, so we don't want to, you know, we don't want to, 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 you know, shoot all of our bullets in the first episode here, but we do, you know, but I, I think do, there's a lot of setup to be done. You know, I yeah. think a lot of the themes, maybe like this whole Gilrine versus Elrond thing. You know, we can set that up in the first, you know, like you're kind of talking about. And there might be some other themes too that we'd want to maybe set up as far as the story in the first episode. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So, so you know, the idea of you know Gilrine being there in the room. I, I don't know if anyone else is there, but at the very least, it's Elrond, Gilrine, and 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 Estelle who are in the room as you know Elrond is telling the stories um and uh you know so shots of 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 Gilrine you know and, and not that we're going to be going back to the frame constantly throughout the throughout the central narrative but um but again I think that's going to happen more in the first episode than usual just by the nature of the Aino Indole um yeah. uh, it, it, it's just the only really contiguous story like constant story that needs not to be interrupted is the story of the music itself. The rest of right. it is all just snatches and bits. And again, and, and I think works really well, fits perfectly into the context of a sort of a back and forth between Estelle and Elrond as he tells the, you know, the sort of the start, you know, the start of the story. And by the way, for the record, my thought is that Elrond's perspective on the whole tension with Gilrine thing is that he just feels like she's being impatient. You know, that... um that's like, yeah, no, his mind, you know, his, you know, he would say, though I don't think he's ever going to necessarily come out and say this, that, um, his intention is not to raise Aragorn as an elf, um, but to make sure that he has an understanding, um, you know, that, that he, for his, uh, for, for, for his, uh, uh, you know, from his point of view, um, thinks that, that Gilride is just, far too quick to dismiss to dismiss elvish things as sort of relevant uh to humans um and sees humans as sort of just existing independently and even perhaps with an eye towards uh you know i mean i don't know even if um if if gilrine is sort of more pragmatic even potentially uh, that is knowing, like, look, the elves are fading. He's got to establish himself and saying he's not going to have, you know, like th- this whole elvish tradition is all great and everything, but he is a king of men and has to establish his realm among men. So, you know, let's not, you know. Well, th- he could even, you know, he could even, because we've said this before about either she reminding him or he reminding her that he has a connection to, you know, the the kings of men through his brother. You know, sort of a like. No, I haven't forgotten Gilrine. You know, I have, like, you know, I have my own connection, or I don't know, something like that to say, uh, or she, or she says something like, you know, 
I think we said this before, like she throws him his face or something like, don't forget that you have, you know, a connection to, to his line. I don't know, something like that. Right, right. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, Karita exactly is. Uh, so Karita was just saying, um, it's an interesting thought to consider Gilrein listening to the story that touches on or explains why there is suffering in the world, um, you know, when she has been widowed and left to raise a king. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and it's, it's one of the things that I think, it's one of the mistakes, I think I would say. That I would that I would suspect Gilrein of making, that she feels that she is more in touch with suffering mm-hmm. than the elves. You know mm-hmm. that she's been out in the world and she's experienced and she has and they've been shut away in their little you know hideaway here in Rivendell, um, where they're 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 closed off from the realities of the world and everything is beautiful and peaceful and, and, you know, evil never comes there. Remember, that's what Tolkien says in The Hobbit. Evil does not come uh, to Rivendell. Um, And uh, so... You represent how short the memories of men are. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's one of the things that that can change over the course of time that she recognize, you know, that it's one of the things that she would grow in as a character to sort of recognize, mm-hmm. okay, just because your suffering happened much longer ago than mine doesn't mean that you have not, ex- you know, that you have not experienced as much pain as I have. But at the beginning, I think that that's kind of where she is, you know, that she feels like I'm the only one around here who's actually, who's, who's actually experienced suffering, um, you know, and, uh, and, and I don't want, you know, and that's why she's... Re- resistant to this very sort of distant theoretical in the beginning of days this is what happened and it doesn't really matter right. anymore kind of kind of education um yeah uh, uh, Marielle Gage raises the 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 important point I think you know she says that she likes this but it's starting to sound like a less funny version of the princess bride frame uh yes and no uh yes and no um i mean of course i can't pretend that uh you know the princess bride frame is not one of my central like uh ideals for frame narratives but um but at the same time the chief difference is that the frame is part of the story is connected with the story in a much more intimate way it's not just you know there's a big difference between, you know, a late 20th century grandfather and son reading a book together, you know, a, a sort of, you know, a fairy tale together and talking about it. Because, um, of course, even in the, in the, one of the chief differences, uh, between the Princess Bride book and film is that in the book, the frame narrative maintains throughout that the story is is true, is historical, and that Florin really exists, and there are all those references to contemporary Florin, uh, and how, uh, you know, Stephen King is a citizen of Florin, and all that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, but in the film, it's not. It's just a fairy tale. And they're talking about it, and they're engaging with it as a story, and ex- again, explicitly as a fantasy story, as a fairy tale. And, um, th- and, and that, of course, is going to be a huge difference. Um, well, I, with our story. one thing for me, as far as the frame story is concerned in this episode, is I, if we had the whole frame story be like the Princess Bride movie, yes, I think it would be boring as heck. Because I don't want to see Elrond and Gilrein and Estelle through this entire episode just be in his library or wherever right. talking Estelle. Right. I, there should be some action. And it doesn't necessarily have to be continuous in terms of chronology. You know, one scene... The opening scene can be at one point in time. Then we have 
music of the honor or whatever you know main story we're going to have and then the next time we see the frame story could be at another point in time not necessarily years apart but some other situation um you know, I mean, I think there needs to be some, I mean, like I said earlier, I think the, the place we have the most opportunity for there to be some action is in the frame story in this particular episode. Um, so I think we need to think in terms of that, too. You know, I don't know action in terms of what. Is Elrond going to go out and fight orcs? I don't know. Um, are the sons of Elrond going to go? I, I know we talked about that, but that's probably for later in the season. So I don't know. Uh, uh, but I'd like to think in terms of there being more action than just Gilrine, you know, smacking Elrond with words. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, Nick Palazzo has uh, an interesting point. He says, it would be interesting to see Estelle being trained in sword play with Eladon uh, or Elro here. Uh, yeah. Elrond pulls him away. Gilrein resists and we get the flashback to the death of Arathorn. That's a really interesting idea. For yeah, that's segue. a very interesting idea. Um, yeah, Dave, go ahead. I, I was thinking. I was thinking one one way to introduce some 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 action, some drama, and a potential source of strife might be to portray the death of um, the death of Erthorn. Maybe not directly. I'm not. I, I'm I'm not advocating the start with the start with the you know an action sequence or something, but to portray her reaction to it. Yeah. So see, like, see, like, maybe someone delivering the news, maybe even Elrond delivering the news to to Gilrine and seeing like her reaction to it. Maybe she somehow blames him for it or something. Well, yeah. no, I guess so. So so go, they go to Elrond because of Arathorn's death, right? Right. Like that's sort of the precipitating event for why they go to um, why they go to 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 Rivendell. So maybe and does she directly flee to Elrond? She directly does, doesn't she? After Elrond, after Earthrun dies. In other words, there's not like a big time frame. It doesn't matter. No, just, well, no. it's one of those. It's one of those. Narratively, she directly flees in the course of the telling of that story in the appendices. But it's yeah, I guess it's not entirely clear how much time transpires. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. No, there's not. It's not. It's not clear how much time transpires. Though I mean, it does seem. Yeah, I mean, direct, which, of course, doesn't mean that she just, like, walks straight there right after she hears the news. Um, but also, I, I'm, I, I, I do like the idea. In fact, it's, it seems to me to make sense that uh, that would be precipitated by somebody. That is, someone from Rivendell has to come, right? Um, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe Gilrein on her own is just like... My husband is dead. What should I do? I know. Go to Rivendell because it's not a standard thing. It's not been done before. I mean, there's no there's no yeah. indication that any other yeah. previous chieftain of the Dunedain was ever raised in Rivendell. It's not like it's a thing, right? So, yeah. I would think that there yeah, think that that that, that would be an intervention, right? Yeah, doing something like w- with the paternalistic elves, like showing up and saying, "Okay, all right, we're taking charge of this situation." Yeah, yeah. Maybe Gilrine doesn't even necessarily. I mean, maybe she's difficult to convince to bring him to Rivendell in the first place, and we can sn- we can fl- flash back to that scene. Maybe that's how we we bring in to to Arathorn. We have somebody, uh, maybe not Elrond himself, but maybe Eladon or Elro here. Or well, yeah. Next says the sons of Elrond were there, meaning I assume the battle where Arathorn died. Yeah, and, so yeah. Maybe I would have no problem with that. Yeah. Or Glorfindel. Oh, always up for Glorfindel. Sure, he could be there. <laughs> more Glorfindel. More Glorfindel. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 that would make sense, actually. I mean, that would totally fit to have Glorfindel be the one who goes out and helps and uh, and then yeah. brings her back. It would certainly also fit with for his Diana. character. 
Brianna says, when in doubt, use the twins. When in doubt, use the twins. Well, I do love Eladon and Oro here, and I definitely want to to develop them a little bit more. Um, and it's something that, you know, I want us to be thinking about. I, I'm kind of thinking that the next time we do Aragorn, the next time we come back to Aragorn, and, you know, whether it's in season right. four, I think we were possibly talking about or whatever, um, I, you know, the ne- when we jump forward in his chronology to, you know, teenage Aragorn, I, I, that's when I would want to develop the character of Eladon and Elro here a bit more. But um, Although I think this idea of introducing them as part of the recommendation for her to go to their father after yeah. Arthorn's death is cool. Yeah, um, yeah. I do like that. I mean, I... I, I again, yeah, season, but. yeah, yeah. I, I could see either the two of... Either the two of them or Gorfindel in that role. Um, and right. yeah, and I'm thinking she, she takes some convincing. You know, she does, she wants to stay with her people. She wants to raise Aragorn among their people. You know, to, she wants him, to, she wants to make sure that he knows the Dunedain and he knows their ways and, and that they all know him. And then basically Eldon and Elro here convince her that, um, you know, he's in too much danger and that he needs to be kept and safe. And reminding her who he is and what's, what the stakes are. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Reminding her, of course, that he is the hope for their people and then right. that's of course where, and that's where his name comes that's from. where his name comes yes. from Smart. now thomas johnson in a slight segue here goes to a good question should music play a prominent role in the frame as a way of segueing to the music of the einor absolutely i would say yes though how do we do that yes but though we'd have to be careful When we talked about, in season zero, when we talked about music and magic and stuff, um, we were talking about associating particular musical themes with particular Valar, and also we were talking about um, basically associating music very prominently with, you know, with with, with sort of magic happening. Um, So I'd want to be a little bit... In fact, I would be... Hmm. I don't know. I'm actually sort of wondering, what if we did almost the opposite? What if, what if, uh, if we did, I don't know. I'm kind of thinking of contrast, actually. Um, because again, I feel like one of the things that, that can be happening with Gilrine is that she can, as I said, she sort of feels like these stories are not really relevant. You know, um, she could even be resistant. And again, like I said last time, I'm kind of channeling Andreth through Gilrine here, right? Um, right. That she thinks that all this elvish stuff is like, you know, whatever, this is not the world that, that men live in and elves don't really understand that world, right? Elves can talk about, you know, they can do the thing, they, they can talk about the Valar and everything, but whatever. What, what, what relevance are the Valar to men, right? Um, you know, some men go there. Right? Because, you know, we have some men like Hurin, for instance, who, you know, especially if you read Hurin in the beginning of the Children of Hurin, the published Children of Hurin before he goes off to war, he's all like thoroughly steeped in like elvish theology and, and, and the elvish worldview. Um, and accepts all of that complete, but not all men do. Right. And some like Andreth will say, will, will voice more bitterness of like, why didn't the, you know, the Valar never came for us. Right. Um, do we have any evidence that the Valar care at all about men? 
Um, and, uh, you know, and again, I think there's an, I think the answer to that question is yes. And I think that we can show that the answer to that question is yes, but I think it's a question to be asked. Uh, and I think, and I, and I, and I would uh, not be surprised if Gilrein is the one to ask it. Um, but, um, anyway, so I, th- this, this, th- that issue is sort of in my mind when I'm thinking about the music, um, you know, whether we want to show continuity between the two or to show difference, you know, to, to, to show the distinction between the themes of the Valar that are being played, uh, in the context of the music and, um, and the, uh, um, the, you know, the more contemporary world, the, 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 thir- huh. you know, the thir- third age world. Putting these two things together seems, this is a challenge. It is a challenge, and this is why I tend towards, and again, I know this, you know, coming back to, 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 uh, um, uh, Marielle's point about, you know, the Princess Bride. I know, like, the, the way in which, in particular, in which in the context of this episode, we're talking about bouncing back and forth between the frame and the story much more than usual. Uh-huh. Um, there is yeah. a danger there, you know, that's, you know, that, that we're going to get more of those, like, she doesn't get eaten by the eels at this time kind of moments, uh, you know, where the frame interrupts the story or, or comments on the story or whatever. Um, uh, I, I don't expect that to be a, a, a primary trend, uh, in the show as a whole, but in this first episode, I do think that that's going to happen. Um, and I think even thinking about the sort of the role of this episode as a pilot episode, I, I think that even that that's kind of important because one of the things that we really want to establish is the frame story is a story on its own. Like we want it, we want people to be understanding that it's a story and that it's a drama and they should care about those characters and they're not just there for the purpose of exposition. And that those stories are connected with the stories that are being told. And, you know, so that they have a con, so that when we do an episode where we go back to the frame barely at all, they won't have forgotten it. And we can then, having planted those things, we can, we can then just kind of bring them in very briefly and quickly later on and yet still accomplish things by doing that. Um, but, um, Okay. Well, so I think I think one I think you know the the opportunity presented by trying to do this is to is to address some of those questions that that you were raising, you know, like sort of the Andrith point of view, which is which is all this Valar stuff seems really really like basically irrelevant to us. There there that that it's just happening on this different scale, like there are thinking about the music and these big events and sort of the overall arc of history and all that and what relevance does that have to my day-to-day life and and they're not at they don't actually care about you know um the men of middle earth and and that sort of thing i yeah. i think i think i think that's sort of the opportunity presented by by both this episode and the entire season which is which is like sort of trying to trying to unify those those two things sort of you know like the, the 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 sort of the mundane nature of everyday life and then sort of you know like what relevance do that do these sort of unknown um you know godlike figures across the western sea that nobody's ever nobody in living memory has ever seen or talked to and there's no sort of there's no evidence of them actually playing any kind of active role in our daily lives and why should we care about any of that they're not interested in us yeah. yeah. Um, hey, I just had an I just had an idea. I just had an idea. Okay. Let's end the episode with the music of the Ainur, not begin it. 
That is to say, we build up to that. The story of the music and the conflict and the, 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 you know, and Melkor's rebellion. And so that's Elrond's response to, uh, oh. the question, how is any of this relevant? Why do we care? So we start off with the more vague Valar things, right? So we have him to, you know, say like, you know, he, he, Elrond can do basically like the very, very introductory stuff, right? There, you know, uh, uh there was, uh, Iluvatar and, um, and, you know, the, the, um, so, you know, so we go basically the first, I'm looking at the first, uh, paragraph, basically. Uh, you know, that the, there were the, the Ainur, the holy ones that were the offspring of his thought, and they were bef- with him before aught else was made, right? So he, he does this, and then, um, th- then he, um, Aragorn asks questions, right? You know, maybe we, we, we sort of end that with him saying, with, uh, with Elrond saying, like, you know, and they, they, they descended into the world, you know, Arda was created and they descended into the world. And then he asked questions about the nature of the Valar, right? Um, and, you know, so we can have him ask the questions. Again, the questions that were coming to my mind when I was reading this, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna ask questions, uh, when, uh, when, when, when he said, when, when Elrond talks about them coming down into Arda, um, he can ask questions like, you know, I, how do they fit? Like, I thought they were, like, they were, you know, why are they, why are they coming down into the, you know, it, isn't this world really small and aren't they really huge? Like, well, how are they coming down? And then, you know, he can, he can, he can oh, give yeah. the explanation about the, you oh, know, kinds the, of questions a small child would be asking. The, yeah, absolutely. The pillar that, you know, the, the pillar that's, you know, until its peak is as bitter as a needle. Um, and then he can ask like, well, okay, but did, this would also solve the, the princess bride dilemma too, right? Like if, if uh, instead of bouncing back and forth, we just basically have mostly frame story at the beginning. And then mostly, um, yes. Silmarillion story. Really story at the end. Exactly, because we're not going to visually depict anything there. It's gonna, that's going to be a, a conversation between Elrond, and it doesn't have to be sitting. You know, th- th- they can be. We can visually vary it by having them walking while they're talking. That's of course the very traditional pedagogical method uh, is to have these conversations while walking around. Uh, if you want to be all peripatetic and Aristotelian and Aristotelian about it. But um anyway, so he, his next question Estelle's next He's such question highbrow, isn't he? Is He's so highbrow. Peripatetic is such it's a fun they're, they're word. Have a dialectical. <laughs> exactly. Those are all fun words. Those are very fun words. I try Absolutely. I try to work the word peripatetic into conversation at as least once a year. <laughs> at least once a year. That's like a dead minimum <laughs> You've got to use the word yeah, because, you know, the danger would be just talking a lot. But I liked, was it Nick's idea or somebody's idea where he's getting swordplay, you know, yes. instruction from El, uh, the twins or from Glorfindel and Gil Ryan, you know, I mean, there can be stuff like that where we are doing sort of vignette things and the story is unfolding as these vignette things are happening. In other words, stories unfolding from Elrond. So it's not just walking and talking the entire time. Right. But that's kind of part of it, or something. Right. I mean, we could certainly come up with some action. There was something else I was going to ask. Right. Oh, I was, oh, and I was, I was going to add. So, like the, the next, the, another question that he asks would be, well, like, do the Valar have bodies or what? Like you said, they're in the world. Like, yeah. do they, they have? And that's where he explains, like, well, you know, they, they, they have visible forms, and you know, they, but they put on those forms like we put on our clothes. They're not essential, you know. They don't have, you know. So, like, all that, and and the same thing about the about the the gender thing, right? Which is the same, you know. They they, you know, they they do put on you know male and female forms, but you know those those forms are not essential to them, um, but they represent you know who they are and what they're like as people. Um, 
So, you know, again, those those portions of the Ainoa, all that stuff is in the Ainoa. And again, those things, it's it's even when you read it in the narrative, they sound like the answers to questions, right? Um, so I thought that that would fit. That would fit. so anyway. So we can do this exposition stuff. Um, so you're right. We have at least the first half of the episode take place entirely within Rivendell. We don't bounce out of it. Um, we have some. We have Elrond taking up the you know his his instruction. We have even what if Gil Ryan initiates the swordplay thing, right? If like basically Elrond hadn't been planning to like start him in weapons training yet, and Gil Ryan is like, I have an idea of something that would be really practical for him to be learning right now, and then she asks somebody, maybe uh, maybe Elro here, maybe uh, Gorfindel to like start training him in in uh, in in swordplay and archery and things. Um, so, uh, you know, so we can, we can, we can, you know, it's one of the ways in which we can sort of, um, put in the, uh, we can begin to set up the tension. Cause I don't think that Gilrine is going to just leap immediately, you know, sort of just flare yeah. up instantly and into conflict. I like guess it's going to, it would kind of brew over the course of the episode where she'd be get, getting in sort of increasingly uncomfortable until she finally, uh, in the end ends up bursting out to Elrond, maybe not in front of Estelle, I think. Um, right, because she uh, she's 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 not a complete barbarian. She her her, her manners are better than that. Um, well, and I think during that conversation, because you know Timothy Fisher had said something, had pointed out, you know, of course that we've talked about before, which Aragorn doesn't find out about his destiny until tw- he's twenty. Right, but there's no reason that the audience can't know about his destiny, even in this first episode, which would be a private conversation between Gil Ryan and Elrond, exactly. and it could be during that flare up conversation that we discover that. You know he's got this destiny. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's we right. wait. Especially to find out. since, like, little Estelle. If we don't do that at all, if we don't ever refer to his future destiny, right? Anybody who doesn't know the appendices is not going to actually know who this little boy is. And That's we should right. probably throw a bone to our general audience uh, that this is Aragorn uh, before sometime prior to the end of well, the at episode. At some point, the phrase Aragorn, son of Arathorn, has to be said. Exactly. The first episode. Exactly. It really does. <laughs> It really does. Um, um, and, you know, and, Probably we should tell the average viewer what's going on. Yes, exactly. I guess. Exactly. Sometime in the episode. I mean, I think it's it can be far enough into the episode, that, like maybe right. at somewhere like the halfway point, so that it's still kind of a cool reveal. Um, but, uh, you know, though, of course, Tolkien fans will have known from the beginning. Um, but, um, and even actually, even really careful viewers of Jackson's film will know from the beginning because there is right. at least of the extended editions because there is uh uh you know there there are there are references to Gil Ryan. I mean he's there at her grave, remember, in the extended edition um in Rivendell. Right. So really keen viewers that's... of the Jackson version will know who Gil Ryan is and therefore know who Estelle is from the beginning. But But I do think this is good. I, I do think you know I do think that there may be enough drama slash action slash tension in this build up like you said she's not initially you know she doesn't come out with all guns blazing in the beginning but it builds up so we can see that happening in the frame narrative and then in the in, in this face off that she has with Elrond when she blows up is where maybe we get the Aragorn set of Arathorn thing you know yes. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and then he says yes I'm fully aware of this and this is why so and so, you know, why I'm doing what I'm doing, or something like that. Do you think that she is a? My, 
I'm thinking Gilrine is against keeping his identity from him. That that's Elrond's idea. And she wants to tell him and he is, and he is convincing her that that would be bad. Um, right. And she, again, and she sort of feels like this is the sort of the general, um, the general elfification of her son. It is, it is Elrond that reveals it to him, isn't it? Yes. Yes. And he has See, a whole lecture have, about... We have the Lucian Barry yeah, episode. Yep. Yeah, and he has a whole lecture about the the various artifacts and which ones he gets to have and which ones he doesn't get to have yet <laughs> and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and it's, it's when he says, I, you know, what he won't give his daughter to anyone less than the king, right? I mean, that's during that period, correct? Right, right. Yeah, and that, by the way, that's like um, that episode. I mean, if uh, if we're doing Baron and Luthien in season four, which I think is what we were talking about, if we're doing Baron and Luthien in season four, I, I, that's that's obviously the frame narrative of the season finale, right? You know, like that right. that, that season ends. With Elrond telling Aragorn that he will give his right. daughter to to you know to no one other than the king of Arnor and Gondor. Um, but, uh, now, Karita asks, at what point, if ever, is Gilron on board with Elrond helping raise Aragorn, steeping him in lore, etc.? Well, I do think that has to be the, the resolution of this flare-up. I think that's Whether the resolution happens. of season one, essentially. I mean, we're going to get development of Aragorn's own character, and that's something we need to be thinking about more as we go through season one. Um, but I think that I, my suspicion is that by the end of season one, we have season season one ends with something like a reconciliation between Gilrine and Elrond. Um, because if Gilrine's not on board, I mean, he's only he's still got ten more years of education before he's told who he is, and she's going to. We have to have if we're going to stick to the plot, we have to have her not only agree to keep that secret for another 10 years but but then let Elrond be the one to tell him when the time comes to and so right. the 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 implicit um agreement between Gilrine uh and Elrond there has to come about so i think bringing Gilrine around um and uh reconciling that tension and and honestly i think that you know we can kind of make that into Thinking about the sort of bigger themes that that's connected to, I mean, one bigger theme that that's connected to is, of course, just the whole relationship between elves and men. Um, it's one of the thing, you know, the sort of the the different destinies of the children of Iluvatar. I think about the the way in which Tolkien sort of digresses during these early chapters to talk about the fates of elves and men and how they're different. Right? We're not going to have an expositional moment like that necessarily. Um, but it's, it's one, it can be one of the, the sort of, uh, overarching themes, or rather sort of concepts established throughout the course of season one. Um, and that can be sort of more closely reconciled. But, the, but, but, but then again, remember the, the primary theme, um, of the, of the actual first age stuff, the Valar story that we're getting in season one is, you know, it culminates with them choosing to go to war. With them, you know, sort of being reconciled right. to the fact of conflict within the world and everything. So the idea that we, 
we begin the the Valar story begins with peace and ends with conflict, and the idea of having the frame story beginning with conflict and ending with reconciliation is kind of cool, I think. Um, and because it's through through their understanding, through our understanding of how conflict came into the story and you know sort of the root of evil in the world, um, and then in. The, at the same time, in in the later period of time in the frame, we see not just the same thing happening exactly, but we see, like, the next sort of chapter. Like, here is how conflict arises. Here is the hope for conflict, right? Here is, here, here is Estelle in the middle of that conflict, and we can see reconciliation and, in fact, humans and elves deciding to, you know, to, to, to work together and be at peace. I think that could work really, really well. So I can see some kind of truce happening in episode one as sort of the resolution of that frame story story in episode one. A truce, perhaps an uneasy truce. In other words, Gil Ryan is talked into not saying anything to Estelle. She's going to have to agree to do that, I think, in episode one, right? To not say anything to Estelle. But it won't be until actually the end of the season we see the full, full reconciliation, which is part of Gil Ryan's arc, right? The whole appreciation of the elves and understanding what Elrond's really trying to do and all that stuff is going to happen throughout the season. And then at the end, she reconciles. She's reconciled. Is that what you're basically thinking? Yes. Essentially, yes. Yes. Um, yeah, she, I mean, she has to, she does have to, I mean, she has to go along with it. I mean, she has to, like, not tell her son right there, of course. But see, this is where I'm well, thinking, this is why I'm thinking the, the we end the episode with the story of the music. Um, and and right. it, it comes with not only her wanting to talk, to tell Aragorn his, his identity, but with her her saying like you know you don't know what suffering you know you're 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 just right talking about the 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 mighty and great and wonderful valar and 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 how great everything is you're you're telling him this like peaceful rivendell fake this is not how the world is right you know uh, uh you don't understand suffering um how can you understand suffering when you're shut up in your idyllic little valley here um and that's when Elrond tells the story of the music and the conflict right. within the music, um, and ends, you know, ending with, of course, Iluvatar's speech about, um, you know, how although evil exists, um, you know, the will of Iluvatar will not be thwarted. Um, so, anyway, I think. Um, I, I, now, I think that I think question. that could work really well as the culminate, you know, as the culmination of this episode and the way they interact. Now, so just to remind myself, uh, we do have time passing in the frame story. In other words, the frame story during episode one isn't taking place all in one day, correct? Elcel is growing at least up at least some during the during the season, correct? During the season, yes, no, definitely, because at the very least, we're going to have we are wanting to encompass the whole scope of the story of the Hobbit. Um, so we're going to have more than one year involved right. in the story. Right, that's what I thought. Because mm-hmm. I think we talked about that. Yeah, but didn't we talk about maybe him? But maybe maybe not necessarily through. during this episode, right? No, 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 no. no, no. I meant yeah. the, I said the season. Yeah. During the season. Okay. 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 Yeah, okay. not yeah, the yeah. episode. No, the episode, I think, would be a point in time, or, you know, like a, maybe mo- months at the most. Yeah. Not years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, um, so, okay. How, then, we, we, 
we have to talk about the music. How do we do the music? <laughs> if that's how we're going to contextualize the frame. Oh, no, we haven't. Okay. Let's review. We've really, we found a way to continue procrastinating. Continue procrastinating. <laughs> Can you tell that we really don't want to make firm decisions about this point? Um, okay. Um, how do we do it? Well, all right. Let's review the major options and the suggestions that people have made. A lot of people have argued for essentially an animated thing that when we get the story of the music, we get um, no voiceover, but we get it done. Uh, we, we get the story told in music with accompanying animations which are probably sort of abstract in nature. A lot of people have been comparing this to uh, Disney's Fantasia, essentially, um, to, to sort of illustrate the concept of what people are talking about here. Um, another possibility, of course, would be to do it with voiceover. Um, what do you guys think for a visual concept? I assume we do have a visual concept. That is, I assume we don't just stay in Rivendell and have this done in exposition. No, think, yeah, we need some visual. I think we have yeah. to have... Even if we don't, I, I would be comfortable staying in Rivendell through the entire rest of the episode. Um, but uh, but I do think the music of the Ainur... Because we need to prepare people. If we, do, if, if we never left Rivendell in the entire first episode, um, everybody would think that the whole... I mean, n nobody would really under... We, we would have failed to introduce the central concept of the whole series, which is the frame and them telling the stories and, and the fact that the, the primary action of this of the show is going to be following the first age story. So we have to introduce the first age. So we have to get to the first age story within, you know, inside the frame, not... Um, not 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 on the frame itself. Well, yeah, and we get a little visual diff you know, change, which I think would be interesting to the audience. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how to do it in any other way than a 21st century of Fantasia. I mean, because uh, we don't have corporeal bodies to deal with. Um, do we do it with colors? Do we do it with... That's the only thing I can think of, is well, odd 3D shapes of colors. Let me ask... The, to me, a really big the really big question is: Do we have Elrond vo doing a voiceover of the thing? Do we have any any narrative voiceover, or do we try to just represent it musically and visually? Oh, I think you got to have a voiceover. I mean, I hate to say that, but how do you do it without somebody explaining what the heck's going on on the on the screen? I mean, it could turn into some kind of really avant garde. <laughs> performance <laughs> right. but I don't think we want to do that also don't we also have during the music of the Ein or either during or prior to it this whole issue of Melkor going off on his own being alone and being no, apart that we save that I think that, oh, okay. we, that, that I think we okay. save for the Melkor um, episode which we currently have scheduled I believe is episode 3 of the season okay but that would be kind of a flashback, though, right? It because would be exactly. Episode three. Okay, all right. Exactly. Okay. So we do. Um, we okay. go back to Melkor in the Void in flashback. Um, I'm again. My my thought here is from this from this first episode from the Island Away episode. We strip out all of the like personal interactions. We 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 don't show Melkor in the Void. We don't show 
um, you know, Olmo saying, yeah, I think I'm going to go hang out with Manway and figure out what he and I can do together. We don't do any of that stuff. Yeah. That stuff we save for episode two, you know, when we're introducing the right. Valar and, and, uh, and, you know, so we can be doing... So we really, this today. episode is only, it ends when they come to Arda, right? Yes. That's where this piece of the main story ends. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how you can do it without a voiceover. I don't know how you can do it without... We better get an actor that's got an awesome voice. That's all i got to say for Elrond. For Elrond, yeah, because it would have to be yeah. Elrond's voiceover. Um... And none of the none of the Princess Bride stuff with Estelle breaking in with questions can't do that during the music. Yeah, yes. No, yes. not during the music. No, no, not during the music. Um, and and I, we can't have um, we can't have people. I do agree with people with the people who have been saying we want to have the Valar be non anthropomorphic because they've not even glimpsed. They don't even have the. But at the beginning, before well, that the was elves a decision awakened, that we made. Yeah. Well, see, but there's like even a transitional point, right? And I think that on the discussion board, some people were making this distinction, which I think is a good one. After they have the vision, they have seen, they've uh, gotten some idea of the children of Iluvatar. So the idea is they're vaguely anthropomorphic. They're not, they don't look like elves, but they're anthropomorphic in the sense that they're bipeds and, and stuff, right. right? In, in, in the first season. Actually, they Let could us look not more have... like dwarves, which would lead us up to Aule's forming <laughs> the dwarves based on how the Valor created themselves. <laughs> that would actually be really funny if, uh, if, uh, the dwarves are actually like a John Howe-esque self-portrait by, by Aule, yes, right? Exactly. Aule himself like, make, really just looks like, like a dwarf. Way, and I'm gonna make this one look like Olmo, and... <laughs> <laughs> and then when they see the elves, they go, "Oops, oops, yeah, <laughs> yeah." Um, but anyway, so yeah, so okay, so 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 yeah, so so the Valar, so so the idea here is that the Valar have basically three different stages of visual representation. After the coming of the elves, starting in season two, they are people. You know, they will look like the elves. Right. Because they know what the elves look like, and they are they are uh, they are adapting their forms to match the elves. In the first season, they're anthropomorphic because they have the concept of the children of Iluvatar, but they don't yet know exactly what they're looking. You know, they're not getting. They're, they're still more expressing their own beings than they are really adapting to the children of Iluvatar because they don't have that perception. But they do have the concept. Whereas in the at the time of the music, the whole you know the. The idea of children of Iluvatar is on nobody's radar screen at that point. So they have to be in a... So the idea of making them some kind of more pure essence, not even having um, a corporeal shape of any kind. Several people have been suggesting uh, uh, sort of lights, just basically different shades of light. Um, I think that's a really interesting idea. I like that better than trying to represent them as any other physical... Because, I mean, if you're going to represent them, you have to represent them in some form, in some shape, right? Um, even if it's not uh, human, even if it's not um, anthropomorphic. Um, but even that choice seems significant, I think. Um, so, I don't see how, therefore... I don't see how to avoid animation of some kind or other. Um, I think uh, because I mean, how else are you if you're going to do any visual depiction? If they're not even going to be anthropomorphic, I mean, it's it's got to be. 
So, I mean, if you have colors and textures and lights, says Nick Colors Nick and textures and lights yeah. is the only thing you can do, which takes us back to a little bit of a Fantasia-like deal, which is not... It's yes. okay. That's okay. I mean, you know, we, we can probably avoid totally evoking Disney in the way we do it, but... Well, I mean, especially, I mean, if we have voiceover, we've already departed from Disney, and, you know, it's, exactly. not, it's not pure Fantasia at that point. Um, and... We may not, like, uh, I forget who said it. Was it Tom? I forget who said it. But maybe we don't even have music to start with as far as a, any kind of background right. until we actually have the music of the Einor. So in the beginning, it would have to be Elrond narrating with absolutely no music. The music comes in, you know, as part of the story. Yes, yes. Now, would you think that we would do uh, the voiceover should the voiceover be continuous narration or should it be narr- so that is continuous narration with the music sort of rising and swelling behind it or should it be music punctuated by briefer voiceover I think the latter I think once the music starts I think it's punctuated I think what we'd want to do with the music is actually try to convey to the audience through the music right yeah what's going on I would without, think so without an explanation yeah and then think, for the people that didn't get it, Elrond can do a little summary <laughs> at each point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Dave, what are your thoughts on the on the voiceover? We should, should we should try to keep it minimal and focus on the music? Ah, oh, man. I'm really struggling with this. Uh, um, I, I actually, like, I'm sort of, I'm kind of leaning toward, I don't... Especially if we go with this sort of more abstract representation of the music, I think I'm. I think if we go that route, um, and then we also keep this segment short. So that's kind of one thing I'm mulling over. Like, let's say this is an hour-long episode-ish. Um, what fraction of it is spent on the the initial frame story stuff? What fraction is spent on the is spent on the actual music? I think if you actually keep the music relatively short, like let's say minimum or like maximum 10 minutes probably less than that more like 5 minutes then having it just be like a brief story that's just told by Elrond so even having continuous voiceover I think would actually be okay I don't think it would be bad at all um, I, I, I think it would be tedious if this were like half if we're sitting through half an episode of this This yeah. is. I know I, I know I'm, I, I suspect this this point of view might be somewhat unpopular. I think I think we have some diehards who really want to do like a give like a really full treatment to the music and do like a, like you know maybe spend an entire episode of, of it and think it could be really beautiful visually and all that. I mean I just and I and I understand the the, the central conceit of this podcast is we're supposed to be unfettered by reality, but um, I just can't help but think that. Uh, for for like engaging television, and especially for a pilot that's supposed to that's like your big chance to rope in view, uh, rope in viewers initially, I'm kind of thinking this episode should be mostly frame with a with a brief music vignette, um, and so in that setting, I actually think continuous narrative would be or continuous voiceover would be actually perfectly fine, and I think ultimately would be more effective. And keep in mind also. The entirety, if you read the Ainulindale, the whole thing, from one end to the next, it takes less than half an hour. Right. Um, yeah. 
The Martin Shaw recording is 28 minutes long of the unabridged <laughs> I Know Indole. So we're not talking, I mean, so even if you cut And we're not nothing, even talking about the whole I Know Indole here, No, we? we're, we're talking about, about the music just the music. But it's, I mean, it's you can yeah. read the whole thing in less than five minutes. So we're not talking about the, you know, so I, I, I agree with you, Dave. I think we could extend it to, you know, seven to ten minutes. Um, by sort of giving some time to the music, I would kind of like to. I mean, I like the idea of the the music and light, and giving some real play to having a to having a bunch of the drama happening there, and then sort of. Ex- I, I would want it explained in words, um, and I think uh-huh. the reason that I want the reason that I I would have a really hard time giving up a voiceover is that I I really love the sentences there. I mean, I just, I love Tolkien's description of this. Um, And I would want to use that language. But, but I would like to see, for example, when the discord starts, I would like to see that presented on its own, just as the music. In other words, not with Elrond, you know, it's like watching somebody give a PowerPoint presentation who reads their bullet points as if I can't read the bullet points for myself. You know what I mean? It's like, let's let the audience experience the music and experience the discord and the music first. And then Elrond can come in and explain it. That's kind of, I mean, I just think that would be. Yeah, I I think that's fine. I think having, I think rather than having, having it sort of Elrond, like, like beat by beat to beat, um, describing exactly what's going on, have him sort of, maybe coming in and out or, or having a little bit of a lag on the narrative yes, behind what's yes. actually happening on screen. I think that, so that he yeah, actually I gives us would... credit for being able to figure it out <laughs> instead of feeling like he has yeah. to explain it every every step of the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that would work okay. I think that would work fine. Um, and by the way, you see yeah. how this works thematically, right? Like the conflict with Melkor anticipates the entire season so that the culmination of episode one basically points to where the culmination of the season is going, right? We get the anticipation. Because that's what happens in the Aino Lindale, right? They, the, in the Aino Lindale, we get the entire story of the history of Middle-earth unfolding in short, and then it gets played out, right? So we would actually be doing that in a sort of a miniature version by depicting the story of the conflict within the music um, in a kind of a chronologically detached fashion, right, just by having Elrond telling that story. And then in episode two, we go back to the beginning of time and rejoin the Valar and then show from episode two, you know, through episode 13, we show how that story, the story that is told in, you know, less than 10 minutes by Elrond at the end of chapter one, show how that's played out in time basically over the course of the rest of the rest of the season it would be a really cool way to to adapt and represent that really abstract and difficult thing that Tolkien does in the middle of the Ainuendale where they you know they see the vision of the whole history and then they come into the world and realize that they still have to enact the whole history right um we can we can actually do it and make it happen without just kind of talk without having to talk about it a whole lot you know, I'm 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 thinking of the uh, the music of the Einar. I'm on, right? I'm not muted. Yep, yeah, I must on. be because you guys are talking. <laughs> um, almost like a three movement symphony, which I know is a contradiction in terms there, but but it is like three movements. And I mean, the music in my mind, the music then would be as it would be symphonic. I mean, it would be that level of music. I mean, it, like somebody said. 
Alan, you know, very powerful messages without words. Music can convey very powerful messages. The grandeur of the music. It needs to be very grand music. Yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, and of course, it goes without and saying. Of course, we'll pick, and it'll be something that'll get picked up along the way then. Right. The whole, the whole rest of the story, really. This music that we're doing at the beginning, it's going to have themes in it that we're going to want to be replaying in some form or another, literally throughout the whole entire program. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm definitely thinking, um, I'm definitely thinking that we, I, I, well, I was going to say, I definitely agree with people who, uh, say that a lot of the effectiveness of this hinges entirely upon how good the music is. Yeah. yeah. The pressure is really on. Nick Palazzo says the bracket section is going to have a lot to do once Melkor gets going. Yeah. Yeah, and can I say that, like, uh, you know, as a uh, uh, as a former trumpet player myself, I somewhat object to the fact that the brass section gets labeled, you know, gets associated <laughs> with the devil automatically. Uh, and in fact, I think it should definitely be the trombones rather than the trumpets, who just for the record. But uh, no, I'm kidding. But, or, um, uh, could average horns be discordant? It's okay. That's yeah, the tubas. Yeah, yeah, actually, nope. French horns being discordant is kind of cool, because the French horn is such a mellow instrument. Um, <laughs> everyone associates, again, I think, with great unfairness and high, and high prejudice, uh, uh, you know, like a, a, a loud blaring trumpet, uh, with this. But I think it would be really cool to have, uh, like, evil French horns. I mean, that's cool, right? Um. Yeah, that's almost a, isn't that almost like a oxymoron? Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. And, 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 but wouldn't that be kind of a, a cool way to sort of capture the nature of, uh, sort of the nature of Melkor there? Yeah. Um, but, um, anyway, and I know that Tolkien actually uses the word trumpets. I know it's not your prejudice. I, 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 I know, I know, I know. It's Tolkien's prejudice. It's Tolkien's fault. Write a letter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gosh, we're almost trumpets. out of time here. Yeah, we and are. This is not a day that we can we can lollygag. It's not. Either. No, it's not. Um, but um, but anyway, yeah. So I but I, I think we've got it. We we've got a pretty good shape here. Um, you know. And by the way, just you know, to to this is the first time we've ever done you know a discussion of a, you know what's going to happen in a particular episode. Um, one thing I wanted to say: if people are sort of expecting us to getting around to doing like a whole, we're not going to be do, writing a whole script. We aren't. Right. That's not our job. Right. Our job is to talk about the conceptual issues and how we would deal with the challenges and what are the major things to do. But we're not we're not, as we've said from the beginning, we're the three of us aren't producing a, a project. We're just going to be sitting around and like making uh, dictatorial decisions uh, and saying how everybody how we think everybody else should do it, you know, but um uh, but, uh, but yeah, so I'm actually well, pretty I, comfortable I, with where we are. Yeah, and, and Megan, you know, our wonderful scribe is taking copious notes and those will be posted, you know, as the yeah. show notes from this episode. And I would invite, you know, now, now this is, this is actually the point at which the discussion board will like kind of blossom into whole new branches. Um, because there are going to be those of you that are going to want to like maybe, uh, detail this episode out more based on, you know, what we've discussed, and I think that'd be awesome. Um, and then we'll also have folks, you know, wanting to discuss the stuff for the next time. And I, I you know, and it's just going to get more complex from there, but I'd say go for it. You know, I'd love to at some point, maybe at the end, when we finish up season one, actually have maybe an episode where we go through what people have done. Yes. 
you know, with each episode. I think. Oh, that's cool. a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Really good idea. Yeah, that's I, a great idea. I, I I think it would be awesome. I mean, I know like basically, if I were, if this were, um, you know, if, if we were actually producing a film, like my next step, what I would next want to do, having had all these discussions, is I would want to sit down and be like, okay, let's do, you know, let's uh, let's 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 work out a storyboard, you know, let's actually, um, you know, do a do a really detailed outline, scene by scene, of how we're gonna do this episode. That's and I feel like I I you know. At this yes. point, I feel ready to do that. Basically, you know, we have a right. bunch of ideas. We, 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 you know, there's, we haven't made every final decision. We'd have to refine things as we go through. Like, for instance, we still haven't firmly decided would we actually do a, a flashback to, to Arathorn's death. I do like the idea of do, having a, a, you know, a scene where we go back to, um, we go back to right after Arathorn's death. Maybe we actually see Arathorn's corpse. And, uh, and, and Gilrine <clears throat> mourning and, um, uh, you know, <clears throat> maybe Gorfindel, maybe Eladon showing up. Um, I don't know why I have in my mind as like Eladon being slightly more kind of bookish and El- and Elro here being the more action oriented of the twins. <laughs> oh, that's cool. But I do. I'm all, I'm all I don't over know that. Why, but be, yeah, it'd be fun. Yeah. In fact, it's only during the course of this episode that I realized that I do have that impression, but I absolutely do. When, when we were, I, I, I caught myself thinking <clears throat> when we were talking about him being trained in swordplay, I'm like, well, that's gotta be Elro here, obviously. You know. So, so Eladan will be more like Elrond and Elro here will be more like Elros. So, so he'll remind his, him, his father of, 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 you know, his father's brother. Yeah. I see Elros in him. Yeah. I see Elros in him. So, by the way, are, uh, Eladon and Elro here, are they, are, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're they're not you know they're not identical right you know that's it's, I, I no. don't think they're not yeah so and right uh, Robert Brown pr- pr- points out that that uh, that that Rohir means knight so El Rohir's name is oh, like perfect. elf knight so that's so glad we have our listeners probably to fall back uh, on. there you go Thanks, guys influences me but uh, I, yeah. I was going to ask Corey if this was if this was some kind of subconscious thing where you've been subtly influenced by video games. By video games? <laughs> no, I no, don't think so. No, no it's not. they're equally nightlike in, 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 in Lotro, line. certainly. Yeah. Scholar, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and more in the north. I'm trying to remember what their role in that was, but yeah, they're oh. basically, yeah, they're right. indistinguishable. Yeah. I yeah. can tell you there's a skirmish in Lord of the Rings Online where the two are, are you've got to hold them back from going into battle because otherwise they'll die so fast. It's like, whoa, wait a minute, come back here. <laughs> Dudes, don't run forward, don't fight. You just yet. So they're they're both that way in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, yeah, no that's cool. It's cool. So yeah, anyway, okay. So 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 we can we can do that. But you know, I I I think we're good. I think we're good. I think we've uh, I think we've I, we've, I was going to ask Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. So so you know, like broader concept should we in these episodes, these these um individual episode individual episode focused episodes Wow, a lot of episodes. Um, individual episode-focused podcasts. Should we strive to? Should we try to 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 produce something that looks a little more like an outline? Should we try to? Should we try by the end? Um, um, not today because we're running out of time. But should we? Should we? Should we try to get a little closer to a concrete? Outline? I have an idea. I, I think I have that, an idea. This is what we do. We're assigning. We assign homework 
to our listeners. So this is what you have to do on the discussion board in the in the in in the because we we have a place for people to discuss once, this once episode. Megan's right? notes have been put up. Make sure you use Megan's right. notes as your as your guideline. Right. So uh, Trish, we do have a place for them to discuss. Do, do we, we 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 should start a thread for this episode. Right. And our challenge is we, we want check, people yeah. to make the, it, of course, we, you know, people, if you, you know, you want to go off and do your own thing and do it a totally different way than we're doing it. Totally. We totally support that. You should totally do that. But what we would really like is for for you guys to collaborate on making an outline of what we just did. So you guys do that next step together in the next two weeks. And if you do that, then we'll start the next episode by going through that. So when we do our beginning of the episode review of last time, we will focus on going through the outline that the listeners have drawn up for, uh, for this, for, for episode one that we've just finished talking about. That'll give us a chance to go through it. So, uh, um, so yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you guys do that. Uh, and then we will review it next time and see what we think. Now you need to tee up the questions for next time. Right? Yes. Yes, the questions for next time. Um, your, 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 the reading for next time is, is chapter one of the Quenta. Um, and also you need to review the Valor Quenta as well, because we're going to be, the, we're going to be uh, doing the characterization of the Valor and stuff. You know, the second episode is when we're really going to be introduced to the characters, you know, to Manwe and Varda and Olmo and everybody else. Um, so the questions, the sort of the focus questions, uh, that I want to talk about next time. Well, my questions are kind of simple. Um, I really have two primary questions. Um, one question is how much frame and what's the focus of the frame. But the biggest, the biggest question is, what are we talking about in episode two? What happens in episode two? Um, what's the story? What's the story? <laughs> in the outline, we had this, and I still think this is a necessary function within the, within the, the scope of the whole series. We need to establish the characters of the Valar, the primary Valar, not Melkor, but the primary Valar, and to, and their, just their their descent into Arda and their establishment of their you know their place in Almarin. Um we we need to bring them in, we need to introduce people to them. But we can't have episode two be like the Valaquenta, right? Where we're just going through and talking about each character in turn. Something has to happen. Um this will be our first instance where we have to within the not not in the frame but within, inside the frame, in the first age material itself, we have to make up stories. We have to invent some subplots or something. I mean, we have to, right? Um, so what is it going to be? What's going to be happening? What is going to be the, the, the drama, the story of episode two? Um, I'll be very interested to hear your suggestions about that as you think through that in anticipation of next week. That's what we're going to be focusing on in our discussion next time. And then again, in the context of that, how much frame do we have and what is happening in the frame? Where do we move the frame story and how do we, you know, so that it can be um, in some ways connected with the story that we're telling there inside the frame. So, all right, that's what we're doing next time. So again, Valaquenta, chapter one of the Quenta, make sure you review those for next time. Um, if you are interested in participating in the homework assignment of, uh, of, of, actually working out a sort of a scene by scene ep uh, outline of episode one. I uh, encourage you guys to collaborate on that on the discussion board. And I look forward to, uh, I look forward to, to, to talking that over a bit next time. All right.
by the way, this whole um, putting the outline on the um, <clears throat> on the listeners. I was thinking about this. I, I was going to post this on Twitter. I think this makes us the uh, the studio heads. Right, exactly. <laughs> we're just giving like we're just giving mandates from on high. Yeah, yeah. We want this and put this in there and put that in there, and then somebody else has to actually write it. <laughs> Except we're like everybody's worst nightmare of studio heads, right? We don't just have general yes. opinions about what we want people to see. We have specific mandates, right? <laughs> no creative license for the writers whatsoever, right? Yep. T- take all yep. of our ideas. Yeah, we, we, Produce it and make it yeah, work. Make it. That's right. Make it happen. Yeah, make it happen. Right. And as Karita really adds, are. and and you have two weeks exactly. Right. Yep. That's right. it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you literally are the worst possible. Yep. Like, nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Yeah. It's kind of fun. I like that. I think it's good. That's good. Um. <laughs> Very good. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, I really, um, I really appreciate all of the the thought and work you guys have have, have been doing. My own thinking about the, I know it's you know sort of the, our eventual discussion of the Ina Lindelay, um, you know, ended up being kind of brief. But in my mind, that's largely because you guys have really thoroughly thought through this so much. After having read through all of your discussions, it seemed to me there's not exactly a consensus. Of course, still lots of difference uh, of opinion. But I know that you know my understanding of this, my you know the the, the way that I envision the Island Way happening is very much formed uh, by the, all of the contributions you guys have been making on the discussion boards and things. So, um, uh, so anyway, yeah, yeah, that's uh, so. Thank you guys for uh, for for all of your thinking there, and I look forward to uh, to hearing what you will be coming up with uh, as we move forward. So. As always, thanks everybody for listening and for uh, uh, working in the background like slaves and doing the primary work. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Godspeed. (laughs) 